Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to another episode of Island Spot Sports. And before we get to our guest today, we have a big shout out for, for Living Sisu. Living Sisu is a platform and app that wants to give you all the tools to have success in your sport. Their main objective is to activate your lifestyle. So for active, it's for active people. Enjoy discounts at, at companies like BioSteel, 30% off, BodyLogics, the Goalie Guild, all his books are discounted. Roan, Lululemon for men, 20% off. Online stretching programs with Eccentrics, one full month free. They got super silent massage guns, 20% off those. And it's a great quality. It's way less expensive than a Theragun. And it's a great, it's great quality. So there's so many more discounts that you guys will need to just become a member to see. So they want to provide you with anything you need for success. So come join the community. I'm a part of it. A bunch of other athletes are a part of it. So it's free to join. It takes 20 seconds to have to get exclusive offers to your sport. And it's definitely worth worth it. So do do us a huge favor and go sign up for Living Sisu's membership. It's free, 20, takes 20 seconds. So go do it and we'll see you there. Living Sisu is a great company. We uh, we know one of the co-founders, Zach Fricali. He's a great guy. He uh, He's the co-founder. He does a lot of live streams on Instagram at, uh, at Living Sisu. And with a bunch of elite athletes and you learn a lot from like the athletes determination the resiliency everything to what me made them become successful so it's been a great experience so far so go on i'm gonna leave uh the link in the description so uh go sign up yo welcome back to another episode of on spot sports i'm jack and in today's episode we are joined by a very special guest former professional hockey goaltender pj musico pj spent his career in the echl and the east coast hockey league most recently with the tulsa oilers in 2016-2017 while also in a few ahl call-ups to the stockton, stockton heat and the chicago wolves he played ncaa division one hockey with penn state university and also spent his junior hockey days in the North American Hockey League, the EJHL, and the SJHL. PJ is now a strength and conditioning coach and a goalie coach, so this is going to be a real, real fun episode, PJ. So welcome to the show, PJ Musico. Jack, thanks so much for having me, man. I'm so pumped you reached out. I'm excited to do this. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that, too. I know we, we've been trying to plan this for a few weeks now, and every something comes up every time we were supposed to have it, but I'm glad that we're able to find the time now and get this thing going yeah buddy that's life things happen eh yeah exactly the the grind it's a it's a busy time busy time during the summer so it, it's good to get one get one going whenever whenever we can absolutely so how how have you been like it's been like a crazy year now and like we're finally starting to somewhat open up with everything and just how how's everything going with you and like just just living out the dream Everything's going really well. Um, I can't say that COVID really hurt me too bad. Obviously, I'm out here on the West Coast in uh, California this past year. I was actually um, working in Las Vegas. Uh, I took a new job out there, but I'm back in Southern California now um, with the new Ice Academy that me and my best friend just started. So um, a lot of work, a lot of work, but uh, it's, it's the fun kind of stuff where it's easy to come to the rink every day. Um, obviously, our offices are in the rink, so it's easy to show up to work and even get here early some days, stay late. It's just the way it is. Yeah, that's sick. So like, how, how's that going with like getting the new ice and what, and just being, doing it with your best friend? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's. I'm very fortunate that my best friend is technically my boss. Um, he's the head of what's called uh, Orange Lutheran High School, the hockey program out here. It's a private high school in Southern California where um, we compete in the Anaheim Ducks High School Hockey League. Uh, we just started up our Ice Academy, which will be starting this uh, upcoming year in September. Um, essentially, just fostering a atmosphere and a a culture that allows. Um, you know, hockey players and young athletes alike to not only grow as people, but grow as athletes and kind of chase the dream and give them a, a nice home to do it. So they don't have to be bouncing from, you know, classroom to, uh, to rink and then go to another rink for their team practices. Uh, you know, we have our training facility here too, that handles all of our office. Obviously that kind of falls under my umbrella, but um, to keep everything under one roof, hopefully we'll, uh, allow mom and dad to live a little bit less stress-free and have to sit in less traffic is the end goal. So yeah, all, all in one, just every, everything in one place, not nothing better than that. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, especially just, you know, you get to really foster a lot of relationships with these, with these kids and you kind of end up becoming mentors to them, which um, when I look back on my career, that's one of the things that I never really had was um, that person to reach out to or that coach to talk to when things weren't going your way. So trying to make sure that I'm there for everybody, but with our program growing, it seems to get harder and harder. Yeah, absolutely. And like you live hockey. So like, let's get into like your background a little bit here. Like what, what made you begin to play hockey? Like when did you start and like, what made you become a goaltender? Yeah. I mean, my, my hockey story is really long. Let me tell you. So let, uh, we'll try to keep, uh, keep the unimportant stuff as short as possible. But if I go on a tangent, just stop me. Um, I actually, I'm actually now working in the rink that I learned to skate. Um, so that's pretty amazing. Um, it's a little sentimental to me, but to be able to give back, is pretty cool. Um, I, I played baseball and soccer when I was growing up, but, uh, it just didn't seem to be enough for me. Um, I don't know if I was just, you know, a little bit ADD, a little bit high functioning, whatever it might be. Um, I needed a little bit more stimulus and, uh, it just so happened that the Ducks came to Southern California right around 1993, which was when I was uh, turning four. Um, and I was lucky enough that my dad decided to throw a pair of skates on me. And um, we used to watch the Ducks games all the time. And I watched Paul Correa score a slap shot goal. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. So um, came to the rink. And then next thing you knew was I was uh, playing in the in-house league here. And I started uh, diving in front of pucks. I started diving in front of pucks because I didn't like when my team got scored on and our goalie wasn't uh, doing his job. So my dad got pretty mad at me. My dad doesn't come from a hockey background. So he was just like, if you're going to do that, you better wear the right equipment. And I ended up loving it ever since. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Just like you, you just put your body out there, just wanting to stop the, stop the puck, even though you weren't the goalie at the time. And just you fell right in position. Exactly. So like you grew up in Orange, California. So like what was hockey like growing up in California and living in the hot California sun, especially like since California really wasn't that well known for hockey at the time? Yeah, I mean, especially at the time, um, we, we were kind of on the tail end of that generation that really started to at least put a, put ho a California in, in the conversation for um, hockey states. Um, you know, one of my best buddies, Bo Bennett, is he, he was, uh, he won a Stanley cup. He was the first Californian to do it. So, um, he's, uh, he's one of my good buddies and, and the same age as me. So, um, it was, it was a small, it was a small community for sure. I mean, especially, um, growing up, a lot of us 
we would get together and skate, especially when we were kind of spreading out. So around the midget age where everybody starts to go to juniors and, and the summer times was the best because you got to get back together with your buddies and, you know, tell stories, but um, everybody knew everybody. Um, and in order to, you know, be someone in California, you had to be very skilled, which a lot of skilled players come from California nowadays. Uh, you know, you can kind of credit that to uh, the roller hockey background here because the majority of players started off playing roller. I can't say that I was one of them, but, you know, obviously I've dabbled in my fair share of uh, roller hockey because it can be pretty fun, especially to do with all your buddies that maybe you don't always get to play with or whatnot. Um, but yeah, the community was small. So um, the competition was really, really high. We had some really skilled players um, growing up. So um, we always like to challenge each other, but most importantly, um, a lot of our summer skates were who can, you know, do the most ridiculous thing to make everybody laugh. So um, it was really, really fun growing up in California with uh, all the skilled players. But, you know, obviously a lot of the, uh, the politics come into play too, where we didn't necessarily have a lot of coaches that were from California originally. So um, we had coaches from Canada and, you know, some were really, really good. Some not as good kind of got by on their playing credentials as opposed to their coaching credentials, um, which is all fine. I mean, everybody obviously met really, really well, but um, it was, it's kind of interesting now seeing it from the other side of, you know, what makes a good coach as opposed to what made a really, really good hockey player. Yeah, for sure. And that's what it's all about is just having fun during the, during the off season, like the summer skates and just while also getting better, just having those, having those laughs with the guys that you don't usually see during the season and just, yep, just enjoying the, the presence right there. Absolutely. So then you go on to play a season of AAA hockey for the Los Angeles Selects 18U team and then start your junior hockey career with the New Jersey Hitman in the EJHL. So, like, what was the process like for you to find the team in New Jersey all the way from California? Oh, man. Well, I, I guess I guess the, the fast way to say it would be um, coming out of Southern California, I thought I thought that I was, you know, pretty good because obviously the, the pond that I was in wasn't as, as big. Um, I ended up being drafted to the USHL pretty late. I think it was like 180 something. Um, so I, I ended up going to camp in the USHL. Um, and I was, you know, your typical California kid. I had long hair. I still had sand coming out of my pockets, you know, wearing sandals into the rink. Um, and I got to, I got to the USHL camp and, you know, my eyes kind of were wide open, like, wow, I really have been approaching hockey incorrectly, um, you know, for the past couple of years, you know, whatever that might be, whether that's off ice or just the way that I approached it on ice. Um, so it was a big eye opener for me. I ended up not having a great camp, you could say. Um, and so I ended up uh, being sent back home. And then from there, I go to uh, the Vernon Vipers camp in the British Columbia Hockey League. Um, ended up getting beat out uh, by a guy named Andrew Hammond. Um, I don't know if you, you know that name, played for Ottawa for quite a bit. Pretty good choice yeah, on their part. If you, yeah, if you, look, uh, if you look in hindsight, pretty good choice by them. Uh, I think they ended up actually going on to win the RBC cup that year. So, um, you know, missed the cut by a little bit too, um, there. And then from there it was sending emails. I was sending emails to any, any team and every team. Um, it just so happened that out in New Jersey, I got a reply from one of the assistant coach, uh, Jim Hunt and Toby Harris out there with the Jersey Hitmen. Um, they remembered me from a USA, uh, select camp and they said, you know, we need somebody to come be the backup and, um, you know, if it's something that you're interested in, we'd love to have you. So I went out there and ended up sticking there and we actually won, uh, what was the, 
the EJHL championship. I think it was the Deneen cup or something along those lines. Um, we ended up winning that year and I, I didn't play too many games, but I, I really enjoyed it there. I got to learn a lot from the guy that I was backing up um, who was two time goalie of the year in the league. So that was really when I started to understand how much I can learn from, you know, older players. So that's how I got there. Yeah, for sure. And it's a, it's a path, but it's a long path, but you, it's, it's about the journey at that point point, just following, just doing whatever you can to enjoy the game and enjoy uh, developing as a goaltender and getting to that next level. Yeah. I mean, you, 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 you learn a lot about yourself. I mean, obviously we haven't even really scratched the surface of the adversity that I kind of saw throughout my career, but um, you know, you kind of learn a lot about yourself and how you handle certain situations. I mean, I remember being really upset because I wasn't playing, but I mean, at the end of the day, it was something that I never really experienced before. You know, I never experienced, you know, getting cut from a team. And then on top of that, you know, not, not even playing, you know, every third game. Um, so it was, it was a big challenge. And especially when it came to practice habits, because, you know, my practices became, you know, the way that I would earn playing time. And it took me a long time to understand that, um, you know, looking back on it. So it's, you know, it's now something that I, I talk to with all the goalies I work with. Yeah, for sure. And like you go to the USHL camp, like you said earlier, and you get caught and you don't have that great of a camp. So like, what, what did you learn from that experience and just being able to like, even though you got caught, like you learn things every, every time you step on the ice, especially during the, during those times when you get, when you do get caught. Yeah, I think, I think at the time, I, the biggest thing that I learned was, you know, being able to approach it like a business, which was something that I hadn't experienced yet. And, you know, just because you're drafted or just because you're signed by a team, you know, you have to earn that spot every day. And, and hockey's a performance-based sport. So if, if you don't play well, you're not going to have a job. And that's, and that was, uh, you know, the big eye-opener for me. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I think in the long term, that was kind of the first moment that I understood um, that I, I needed to be my own goalie. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't try to, you know, mimic what other people were doing. Obviously, you're going to you're going to see what one guy does and you're going to try it. And, you know, maybe you like it, maybe you don't, but, you know, I remember seeing a couple goalies and they were, you know, they had headphones on before the game and they were juggling before the game. And that's something that I've never even seen, let alone, you know, started to do. So well, I thought that that's what I was supposed to be doing. And, you know, it didn't take, it took me quite a long time to understand that what works for me is probably only going to work for me and not most people. So I had to kind of find out, you know, how things went for me and not really worry about, the atmosphere around me yeah absolutely so then you go into that season you play a full season and you had 14 games under your belt your second year before getting your shot in the North American League so like take us through your time in New Jersey and then how playing those 14 games helped you get that experience of playing the new junior lifestyle that you have to live and the the better competition that you get and help you progress to that next stage in the null yeah, I mean, the, the, the real story on how that worked out is pretty funny. Um, I, I returned for my second year in New Jersey and nothing was promised. Uh, I knew that it was going to be a competition between me and two, if not, you know, three other guys at the time. Um, I ended up starting off really well. And guess what? You get comfortable and you get complacent. And that was something that um, kind of always creeped up behind me is that complacency. Um, I would have a good game and I'd get comfortable. And, and then next thing you knew is I wasn't prepared for the next one. So that was kind of the start of me learning those lessons the hard way. But um, it, they, they ended up bringing in another goalie to 
eventually replaced me, um, who I actually ended up playing against in college quite a bit. It's kind of funny how things work out that way. Um, but uh, I ended up making a call to my best friend, who I actually now work with, uh, who was playing in Wichita Falls at the time. And, you know, him thinking that he's the, uh, the management type, he just said, yeah, you know, book your flight, you know, come, come out here and play. And he might've been joking at the time, but I didn't necessarily, I wasn't in that uh, joking realm. So next thing you know, is I had that meeting with my coaches and said, Hey, look, I'm going to go, you know, approach another opportunity. Um, you know, obviously thank you for everything you guys have done, but I'm going to kind of move on from here and booked a flight to Wichita Falls, Texas. And next thing you knew, I told him that I was showing up in two or three days. He goes, Oh, well, uh, I might want to talk to the coaches first. And so that's when I, you know, blew a gasket and I was like, you what? So I was like, all right, man, I guess, you know, let me know what's going to happen here. So he goes and has a meeting with the coaches and, um, he says, you know, I, I got this goalie coming in, you know, cause the team kind of knew they were struggling in net at the time. And the coach goes, well, you know, we, we just are, we're bringing in two new goalies right now. Like, like it happened this morning. Why didn't you tell me earlier? You know, cause obviously he waited until after the morning skate to tell him. <laughs> so I end up, uh, I end up showing up and, you know, next thing you know, there's six goalies in the locker room and I'm definitely one that, uh, the coach was not expecting to be there. So, um, fortunate enough, I ended up playing pretty well in practice and kind of stood out a little bit and, um, ended up getting, you know, a couple games towards the end of the season there and, um, ended up turning into, you know, the guy they kind of looked to for the big games and, um, that was kind of the end of that, uh, that story, uh, I guess you could say, but, uh, it was, uh, it was kind of strange how things ended up working out. So, yeah, crazy how that go, how that comes into play. And then you're, you're not expected to be there. And then you're getting the, the big minutes with, with the big games that you, that come and you just take, take it and roll with it. Take what you can get, man. Yeah, exactly. So like how important is it to not get too comfortable with where you're at and just keep keep progressing and just not worrying about staying staying complacent and staying in the same spot? Yeah, I mean, for me and, and it might be that second year kind of leading into my third year that I really understood that it's it's day by day. Um, and, you know, that's even something that I talk to even the midget goalies that I work with, the 18 and under goalies I work with now is like, I know that you're signed and I know that you're, you know, coach told you you're going to, you know, split the games, whatever it might be. But every day is a new day. Like the big thing that I, I had to learn in juniors was, is you didn't know who was going to get hurt. You didn't know who was going to get hit by a bus. You didn't know who was going to get sick that night, um, which I have a couple of funny stories of pro of all that stuff that happened. But uh you know, it was really making sure that you prepared every day and you only kind of anticipate that you only get one and you don't know if you're getting another. Yeah, exactly. I like the way you said that. And then you go on to find your spot in the Nall the rest of the season with the Wichita Wildcats, like you said. So, like, how much did that end up, like, helping you in the long run, helping with your development throughout those next two years in juniors and getting to that highest level? I think uh, I think that last half of the season in the North American League um, really kind of solidified it for me that I could handle the starting position. Um, it, it wasn't something that I had experienced up until then where, you know, it was playing two games in a weekend or playing, you know, three games in a row. If you're playing a, a weekday game, whatever it might be, um, that's when it kind of clicked with me that I could do it and I could continue to do it and maybe even 
um, handle more of a workload, which the following year I handled quite a bit of a workload with the uh, situation that I was in. So um, I felt comfortable going into my 20 year old year that I would be able to kind of handle any situation that was thrown at me. Yeah, for sure. So then the following season, you found us a, a, t- a team in the SJHL for the Flinthlon Bombers, where you were the guy from the start playing 50 games and nine playoff games. Like, what, what, what was that season like in playing all, all of those 50 games that you played? Uh, to this day, probably the, the wildest season that I've, that I've ever had, really. Um, I, uh, I, Wichita Falls didn't protect me the following year, so um, I really was on the loop and I was on the horn trying to call everybody. Um, I was fortunate enough that Fred Harbinson up in Penticton, you know, invited me to, to camp in the BCHL. Um, and I think you've, you actually, you've interviewed Joel Rumpel on this, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Rumps is, Rumps is a great buddy of mine. And that's actually where we first met was, um, Rumpel was signed in Penticton and they didn't have a spot for another goalie. The other goalie was actually a buddy of mine from Southern California, Billy Faust. And, um, so I went to camp and I ended up having a very, very good camp where, uh, I stood out to a lot of the coaches and, um, you know, I remember sitting in meetings and they're like, okay, so we're going to sign you, but we're going to trade you, you know, we might trade you in the BC, maybe the AJ, you know, we'll kind of see what happens. And at this time, I didn't really know much about, um, a lot of Western Canada, especially coming from Southern California. If you're not playing the USHL or the Western hockey league, it's, you know, there wasn't much information out there at the time, let's just say. And, um, you know, I remember getting called into the office and say, Hey, like we traded you. So I'm like, Oh, awesome. Like, so, you know, what team in the AJ am I going to, or, you know, stuff like that. I started to kind of do some research and the, and Fred Harbinson and Penticton goes, well, uh, we're going to send you to Flin Flon. And, uh, I was like, why'd you call me? And, you know, I had no, I had no idea of the hockey background and the culture and the history out there. Obviously it's the hometown of Bobby Clark. So, um, tons of hockey history out there, but me being the naive California guy I had no idea so um at first I was like confused I was like what is the Saskatchewan hockey I've never even heard of this before so um you know at the end of the day I was like well it's an opportunity and you know I can either look at it um from a negative standpoint or a positive standpoint and you know I decided to kind of you know turn turn that negativity of you know not really knowing what situation I was going into and and ended up making it uh, a pretty positive experience so I ended up going out there and, you know, we finished main camp and, you know, I, I was fortunate enough that I had amazing billets. Uh, my housing family was incredible. So they made a very, very comfortable, a very easy transition. Um, and I, and I think at the end of the day, Flin Flon was probably one of the, my favorite places that I actually played hockey. Yeah. And like you, you first didn't know what, where you're getting it, what you're getting involved in. And then, you go on to play 50 games for a, for a pretty good organization Flin Flon and just being able to get another opportunity at, at a high level and just continue to develop through there. So like, what was it like playing those 50 games and just like, it takes a toll on your body. Like, obviously when you're younger, you're able to do a lot more. It's so like, what, what was that like? Especially when you did get, when you where your body wasn't feeling that great. Yeah, I mean, I, I was fortunate enough that now at that time, I was I was taking training pretty seriously after, you know, getting knocked down a couple pegs, um, you know, for being out of shape or, um, you know, not coming to camps prepared, you know, not testing very well during, you know, physical testing and stuff like that. So I started to approach the game a little bit better. You know, I had my routines and I knew what kind of worked for me at the time. Um, 
And uh, it, it was it was strange because I, I didn't really know much about the situation. You know, they had they had a returning goalie and they had a, a new young kid that was coming in. And I, I think if I remember correctly, I ended up the the other kid, the returner kid ended up, uh, you know, going somewhere else to another opportunity. Um, gosh, I can't remember who it was. Save, save, save my life here. But, um, you know, it, it started with game one, uh, that first exhibition game. I played really well. I got comfortable. I kind of, it was, it was a little bit of a of simpler hockey at the time. You know, the Saskatchewan league was known for being a little bit more, uh, you know, hard nose and, and just shoot the puck from everywhere and get the puck in. And, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of hitting, a lot of fighting at the time. And that was, uh, it, it was really fun hockey to be, especially as a goalie, because you really didn't know, you didn't know who the skilled guys were, especially myself coming from California. I, I didn't really do much research. So essentially I was just going out and playing hockey every night. But as far as the wear and tear on the body, I was really surprised with how I actually handled it. It, it, it wasn't too much at the time. Um, I think that the way our practices were scheduled, our practices were early, like 8 a.m. in the morning, maybe 9 a.m. Um, so we had the rest of the day to relax. And, you know, obviously you go to the gym and you, you get your workouts in or whatever that might be. And um, the schedule was really nice, especially for being a 20 year old kid at that time and um, ended up working out pretty well for me. Obviously um, it, it wasn't anticipated that I was going to play that many games. Um, it was really unfortunate. Um, uh, my partner at the time was, was a younger kid. I think he might've been even 17 and uh, every start that he had that he just couldn't get any bounces. So, um, I think he started maybe six games and only finished maybe two of them that year. So it was, uh, it was very tough, especially after the first couple, uh, couple of those, I kind of knew going into the rest of the games that I, I needed to at least be prepared to finish off something. So, um, obviously, and then not only that, we were, we weren't a very good team at all. We were under 500 and somehow squeaked into playoffs at the end. And, um, you know, so I was seeing quite a bit of shots and, and I think that that might be one of the reasons why I did have so much success was because expectations were really low and I, it wasn't very much stress. Um, I knew that I was somebody that could, you know, at least give us a chance to win every night. So that was all that I tried to focus on. I wasn't really worried about numbers or stats. I knew that those would kind of fall into place, you know, given the larger sample size. So. Yeah, for sure. So then after that, after that season that you had that busy, busy season, you go on to, play NCAA division one college hockey at Penn State so like what went into choosing Penn State to be the school that you go to for the next four years and play college hockey there well I mean I was at the time obviously I I was I was performing really well in the Saskatchewan league and started to get attention from some schools you know West Point Quinnipiac um, Cornell was a little bit interested and um, I actually hadn't really talked to Penn State very much during the year um, and, and I didn't actually commit to Penn State until uh, late July in the summer. Um, I finished the year and, and I didn't really know if I was going to be playing. I, I didn't know if I was going to play Division Three, or, you know, find, find another option. But um, it ended up working out where, you know, Penn State was in its transition year of going from club hockey to Division One, And uh, I was recruited by Coach Guy Godowski and um, I was fortunate enough that I had crossed paths with enough people that he trusted, um, whether those were coaches or scouts or whatever it might be. And they all had good things to say about me. So um, that was kind of where uh, I perked his interest. And it was, 
it was fortunate enough that at the time I was Cornell's, I was, I think I was Cornell's probably top pick at the time. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have the great, the greatest test scores. So um, once that happened, uh, those test scores got in and they kind of gassed me. And then I think Penn State kind of got the word about that and kind of jumped on that ship. So um, I was fortunate enough. The reason why I committed was because honestly, they were the first, first place that offered me an opportunity. Um, you know, there was a lot of back and forth with some other schools, some smaller schools. And um, I really didn't know anything about Penn State at the time. I didn't know anything about the football program. I didn't know who Joe Paterno was. Um, I just knew it was an opportunity to play not only college hockey, but division one college hockey. We had, um, we had six transfers that year um, from other schools. So I knew that we were going to have a strong last year of our club season. Um, I think we played a handful of division one teams um, that year anyway. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the way that that went. We ended up playing our first year at club there, uh, which it was a little bit unfair because we did have a lot of division one caliber players. Um, and on it, and in the first place, the, the club program was really strong anyway. So they probably really didn't even need us to come in and kind of carry the load, but, um, that's the way that it happened. And, you know, it was, uh, it was amazing experience. Best time of my life. Yeah, for sure. So you went into Penn State for four years. So like, what was your overall experience with the hockey, like you said earlier, and just the academic side and just being being a student athlete and just enjoying the benefits that come with being a student athlete? Yeah, I mean, my experience was my experiences was 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 very different than most. Um, you know, I went to school not really knowing what I wanted to study. Um, I knew I liked training. I knew I liked, you know, not sitting at a desk. Um, so obviously kinesiology kind of stood out from the academic side. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough that I had, you know, two, two amazing goalie partners while I was there. Um, Matt Scoff, who I think I, he might still have all the records at school. Um, and then Eamon McAdam, who was, uh, you know, in the Islanders organization for quite a while, both really, really good goalies and both awesome dudes where um, we were able to have that really healthy competition where, um, we, we held each other accountable. It wasn't always verbal. It was more so trying to get the edge on the other guy. Um, you know, but we would be out skating for 30 minutes before every practice. And then it was usually a battle to see who was going to get off the ice first. Um, and then, you know, on top of the gym, inside the gym, we did the same thing where, um, you know, scoff would watch me do a set of pull-ups and then he would make sure that I knew he did one more. Um, it was, uh, it was kind of the way that it was. And, you know, at, at first I was like, God, oh, this guy needs to just relax a little bit. But I mean, at the end of the, at the end of the day, it, it really kind of fostered our relationship and how great it was, um, not only as, you know, competitors, but also as teammates. Yeah, for sure. And you're pushing the, ne the guy next to you and you're pushing, he's pushing you, you're pushing him every, every single rep. So it, it benefits both of you because you're both getting in that work and getting better each day. Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I was really lucky with the experience. I mean, on top of that, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily at any point considered, uh, you know, the starting goalie, um, especially when you have somebody drafted and somebody who's um, really, really consistent like Matt Scoff was, but uh, um, you know, I was fortunate enough that I, I kept the right attitude and kind of applied all those things that I learned in juniors the hard way. Um, and then just waited for my shot. And fortunately enough, uh, the other two guys weren't performing and uh, it took up until my senior year to really get the nod that I needed. But uh, I think it was from Christmas on my senior year, I played almost every single game. 
Yeah, that's awesome. So, like, going into a freshman year, like, you have a lot to worry or worry or worry and think about. Like, going, you're going to a new school, going to play Division One college, college hockey. It's like, what were some of your expectations going into going into Penn State about just playing hockey and playing at the club level in your first year? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day playing club my first year might might have been the best thing for for my career just because I hadn't been in school in three years and it, and I knew that the academic side was something that was going to be held to a high standard uh you know like I said my my GPA was good but my test scores weren't weren't very solid so um I knew that it was something that was going to be a tough transition for me um so not having that you know full division one schedule and and being able to kind of ease into the college life was something that might have helped me the most. Um, but as far as everything else that applies to that, I mean, it was um, the, the school itself has the support system and it's incredible and it only gets better every year. The, the stuff that they have access to nowadays, you know, I, I would have been a straight A student if I had that. But I mean, even at the time, you know, we had counselors, you know, that, that we had direct phone lines to, we had, you know, tutors, we had study halls, we had we had anything that we really needed, um, you know, not only to succeed in the classroom, but especially off the ice. And, and, you know, it was my third year that our new facility was officially open. And, um, you know, that's when things were kind of like, holy, like this, this program is going to be something that's going to be really special. So everything that we did, we even took, we, we started to take even more pride in it because we kind of knew that we were leaving a mark. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. It's like, what was the biggest thing you had to learn going from juniors to your first year of college hockey and like how to manage your time with hockey, school, and as long as well as like the social life, just hang out with your with your friends and your teammates and all that. Yeah, I mean, luckily, luckily, they give the coaching staff did give us really good opportunities to do that. You know, we had, we had a lot of team functions, we did a lot of stuff as a team. Um, it was it was something that we were we were really really close as a team at the time because we kind of knew how special it was going to be um so it was uh yeah I don't really have words for it yeah I feel that so then you go into your first year you play 17 games so what was it like to dig deep into your first first year and start pushing the envelope right from the start yeah I mean I guess playing at the club level, it was, it was hard to really get a good sample size. It was hard to really understand how good we were. Um, and I think that a lot of the times we kind of took that for granted and took advantage of that. Um, you know, we, we could have definitely approached the games from a more serious standpoint as a team. Um, obviously a lot of the older guys, especially the seniors were, you know, enjoying their last year of college. So you can, uh, you can imagine what that looks like, but, uh, uh, there was there was a lot of us that really wanted to win especially you know us us first year guys coming in because we wanted to make sure that we solidified you know our spot for the next three years by having good seasons um and uh i think that we did a pretty good job of that obviously i think i think we should have won nationals pretty easily that year however we ended up getting beat out there um i think it was in the semifinals if i remember correctly but uh you know we kind of let that one slide because we knew uh there was something bigger on the horizon hopefully yeah, for sure. So then you go into your second year where you guys fully become an NCAA D1 program. So like, what was that transition like from going from club, the club level ACHA to NCAA division one? Cause that must've been a huge I, difference. Yeah. I think, uh, 
I think it was pretty crazy. I mean, we, we played an independent schedule that year. So we were playing D3, we were playing D3 teams. We were playing D1 teams. Um, I think we even played a handful of club club teams too. Um, you know, and it was, it was quite a big shift, uh, from an atmosphere perspective. Um, not only that from, uh, from like an expectations perspective too, where it was like, Hey, like, this is how it's going to be. Um, you know, this is how we're going to approach everything, how we're going to approach workouts, how we're going to approach lit, you know, on ice practices, how we're going to represent ourselves, you know, everything was bumped up to the next level. Um, which I think really set the precedent, really set the foundation for the program to what it is now. Um, from a playing standpoint, obviously players were more skilled, the games were faster, um, and that and that year was uh, a really eye-opening year to see kind of the difference between what good hockey is and and really good hockey is. Because you know I was really impressed with the club level myself, um, and I was like, wow, there's some really skilled players here, um, and, and and a lot of talent really. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until we made that jump into officially being division one that I understood like the difference between the speed and everything along with that. Yeah, for sure. And so like you you guys struggled a bit your second, third year because you guys moved up, uh, moved up to full D1. So like what what did you guys have to had to learn? What did you guys have to learn about? And just like besides like obviously like the, the game is a lot bigger, a lot, a, lot, a lot faster. Guys are bigger, stronger and all that. And just being able to, to like use that experience that you you're getting from these two, two year two and year three to help you get to where you want to be in your last year. Yeah, I mean, I guess at the time you could you could still consider a, a handful of players on the team to be of club caliber, um, right? Because we only had a certain amount of kids that we could bring in each year and a certain amount of scholarship space and. I mean, at the time, it, it, it had to be very difficult for the coaching staff to recruit because everybody's anticipating us to just lose every game. Um, so from that side, it was really easy to play because everybody kind of just anticipated that we weren't supposed to be very good. Um, you know, our coaching staff did an amazing job by simplifying our systems and the way that we played. I mean, um, especially as a goalie, it was really it was it was very easy to play in that system because you had to stop shots from the outside. And that's pretty much it we were going to give up a lot of shots, but we were also going to block a lot of shots, just like, you know, pretty much every college hockey team nowadays. Uh, but our coaching staff did an amazing job by simplifying the game, especially for those, uh, those bottom two lines where, uh, you know, the skill may not be there, but a lot of, you know, the will and the heart, um, you know, wanting to win and compete was there. So um, being able to kind of balance the two was super, super important. Yeah, for sure. And like just that balance, like even though you're not you may be struggling, like but you're getting better each and every game, like and like that experience at the D1 level is going to help help you guys for the following years to come. Yeah, I think. And, you know, the, the biggest the biggest thing was playing in other buildings, too, and kind of seeing how how that atmosphere was on other, you know, in in other schools and at other buildings. We played uh, we played a couple pretty big games that my sophomore year, that that first year of Division One, I, I think. We beat. We ended up beating Wisconsin in a in a in our last game of the season that year, I, I think. And um, you know, they I think they they put up somewhere around like sixty four shots on us the night before. And yeah, we ended up somehow squeezing by a win on them. So that was kind of a big eye opener. Our our second year, our first year of Division One, technically was that. Hey, like you know, if if we really buy in here, we have an opportunity to kind of steal some games. So I think that that's when it kind of clicked for a lot of guys. Absolutely. So then you go into your senior year where you 
put up a six, five and one record. It's like, how special was your senior year, especially when trying to make a run to play professional hockey and get your name out there? Yeah. I mean, during my junior year, I didn't, I didn't see a game until March. Um, you know, I think I went in to maybe stop the bleeding once or twice. And, and, you know, that was always something that I took a lot of pride in, especially, you know, back in juniors where sometimes that was the only opportunity that I was going to get to maybe play the next game. Um, so I ended up playing, I think it was the last three games of the season, uh, my junior year. And it, it kind of clicked where it's like, okay, well, like if, if I want to try to continue to do this, then I'm going to need to approach it the right way. But along with that is, you know, I'm also going to need to play games. I'm going to need to have a resume in my senior year. Um, so I made that pretty clear to the coaching staff and they, um, you know, they were like, well, you know, you know, what's in front of you and you, you know, where we see you, we love you, but where we can't promise anything. Um, so I said, all right, well, just, just watch because I'll be ready, you know, and luckily our coach guy get he kind of likes that stuff. Um, you know, where you challenge him and, you know, you give him a hard time or, you know whatever that might be but uh so he likes stuff like that and I kind of knew that so kind of put the ball in his court so he may have to make a tough decision one day and I mean that's that's all I could really ask for my senior year was you know put him in a position where he actually has to make a decision um and that's it that's what happened I think it was right around Christmas time where um we had our Christmas tournament we didn't do very well against Western Michigan I think I went in and finished the game there um, and then the following weekend, we had a, uh, a home series versus Northern Michigan. And uh, both of both of the other goalies uh, played a game, played a game Friday. And, uh, you know, we went down 3-0 early and we came back and tied it. I went in and stopped the bleeding there. And then the following night, um, I forget who it was, but our other our other goalie played and same exact same exact song, song and dance. And went down three early and then I went back in and we actually won in a shootout. So um, I think that that was really the, the point where I don't know if, uh, if their hands were tied and they didn't really have a choice because I didn't really give them much of a choice, but uh, you know, I ended up kind of holding my own and showing them that I can do it. And then, you know, from there I ended up putting together a couple of games um, you know, like the big ones that stick out is the, you know, the first win against Minnesota, which was a huge one overtime. I think it was, um, that was probably that was probably one of the more memorable games, along with, uh, you know, beating Michigan at home on senior night was another crazy one where uh, a lot of emotions flowing. So it was uh, the, the way that my senior year ended. It was pretty incredible. Um, and obviously, it, it, you know, playing pro at the time wasn't even in the conversation because you know, I wasn't playing games. So I was really focused on school. I mean, my senior my senior spring, I was taking 19 credits. Wow. It might even have been 21 credits with an internship, wow. you know, because I was like, well, if I'm going to be here, I might as well make sure that, you know, my grades are there and I finish with this degree so that I can move on and um, kind of just made sure that I was prepared for that, but ended up kind of stringing together a couple more years, luckily. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And like, you'll take any opportunity that you can get, especially if you're, you're down and you have to prove your, prove to yourself and to your teammates that you can come in there, stop the bleeding and give them a chance to win like that, that boosts everyone's confidence, confidence. Yeah. And I, I think the way that I approached it too, was, was really easy for guys to play in front of me. Obviously I love to play the puck. So th that helps a lot of the D men out a lot, but um, you know, I, I wasn't hard on guys for making mistakes. You know, I, I was the guy that was smiling during games and making sure that everybody knew how much fun I was having and how much I enjoyed it because, 
you know, that's, that's really when I played my best was when I was having fun and enjoying it. Yeah, for sure. So like throughout, throughout college, like colleges and all for like their like fan section. So like, did you hear any like hilarious or funny or interesting chance that you, that you would hear throughout the stadium when you go, you go to different, different arenas? Oh man, I think uh, probably my favorite story along with that at least obviously at Penn State we have the roar zone and um, the way that they designed it is insane they I I, I couldn't imagine being an away goalie playing playing there Um, you know the student section so steep that it's I think it's as steep as it could be to code so it really feels like they're right on top of you Um, you know so I'm sure that uh, some some other goalies that have played there have some pretty good ones from our own fans but um, I think what sticks out to me the most was uh, playing in Michigan um, at Yost Arena we come walking out for warm-ups and they have a bunch of signs that are um, that are our, our tinder profiles because tinder just ended up happening at that time so obviously a couple of the guys have their accounts um, so their fan section ended up somehow getting a, getting a hold of their accounts and blew up the pictures of their profile pictures and you know obviously some guys got their shirts off and whatever whatever that might be and so that, that was a pretty funny one from a student section. I think the other, the other fun ones that I experienced was uh, in Minnesota. In Minnesota, I used to get, I used to get pretty, um, pretty torn apart on Twitter a lot for, for being the backup goalie. Um, and uh, I, I, think, I think I have, I might even have a couple screenshots of some of those funny ones. But for whatever reason, in Minnesota, they just did not like me very much. What what's not to like about you though? Maybe I just enjoy what I do a little too much sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. So then you you graduate college after your senior year, you join the Greenville Swamp Rabbits in the East Coast Hockey League in 2015-2016. It's so like what was the process like to sign a pro deal and how did it come about? Honestly, once again, it comes back to who you know and, and you know, how well you know them. And I was fortunate enough that, um, you know, I was on the radar for a couple ECHL teams at the end of my senior year. I never ended up signing anything after that. But um, a former Penn Stater, Brian Gratz, who was a, a former club, club goalie back in the day, um, he ended up getting the head coaching job in Greenville, South Carolina. And um, he ended up reaching out or maybe I reached out. I can't really remember which way it went first, but um, you know, obviously he couldn't, he couldn't uh, promise anything, but um, you know, the New York Rangers had six goalies signed. So that pretty much locks in that they already have their goalies. Um, So it's pretty funny. I ended up getting invited to camp and I went to camp and did pretty well. Um, Ended up making enough friends. I think, I think that was my first goal was um, making sure that I picked a couple veteran guys and tried to really make sure that they liked me, take them out to lunch, go have beers, whatever it might be, but, uh, you know, made sure that they liked me. So if, if it was ever a question that maybe I'd be able to stick in there for another week or so and get a paycheck or two. Um, so I was fortunate enough that they liked me enough and uh, I ended up signing, uh, signing right away for a little bit. I think it was maybe one or two weeks. And then, um, they, they had an injury in, in New York system. So I was there being the backup. And then next thing you know, another guy got hurt. So I started playing a couple more games. And then next thing you know, those guys get healthy in a couple of weeks. And now I'm, you know, back as the third goalie and then back on the chopping block. 
Yeah, for sure. And it's it's pretty much day to day at that point. And like you because you don't know when when things are going to happen, like injuries could happen in the NHL and then AHL guys go up, ECHL guys. Yep. up. It's a whole a whole system there. And just but like when everyone gets healthy, like it just goes down right down the line again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it happens every day. Something happens. Usually there's some guy that's there new. There's some guy that left last night. You know, I was fortunate enough that one of the, one of my partners there who wasn't there for very long at the time, luckily, um, named Jeff Malcolm. He's, you know, he won a national championship at Yale and amazing goalie. Now even he now works with the Rangers still um, under Benoit Allaire. So um, he's still in the game quite a bit. And, you know, he was even my roommate, too, which is a little strange and pro having the two goalies live together. But he was an awesome dude. One of my favorites. Yeah, for sure. So then you played in 13 games throughout that season for the Swamp Rabbits and you went seven, three and one. So like, what was it like playing, playing in Greenville, especially like the Swamp Rabbits? Like that's a pretty cool name and their jerseys are pretty, pretty filthy as well. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was very strange, obviously being in the South and, you know, trying to have a hockey community. I think, I think, I think for what it was, they did a really good job. Obviously our team wasn't great. So kind of hard for the, the town to get around a winning team um you know at the time but uh I loved I loved in South Carolina obviously we could golf every day and we can go you know out and do stuff we weren't battling the elements every day after practice so um the travel wasn't great in the South Division there's a lot of travel but um you know those 15 hour road trips aren't too bad when you're you know with a good group of guys yeah for sure it's like what was it like playing your first professional game like was it very emotional like take us through the game through, through that game if you remember it Oh, freaking out, I guess, would be the the first thing where it's like, like you, you know, you you kind of sit back, at least when you see that lineup and you're starting or when the coach tells you whatever, you kind of kind of freak out a little bit. You know, it's like, wow, you're actually going to play a pro game. Um, So, you know, you get to fire that underneath your resume, too. And um, I think for me at the time, um, you know, I knew that nothing was guaranteed and I knew that there probably wasn't even going to be a tomorrow. A lot of the times I think. I think my first uh, my first game was when one guy got hurt and one guy got called up. So all all of a sudden I'm the starting goalie and I think we were walking into a four games and five nights situation on the road. So you know going into it I kind of knew like hey you're gonna play three games at least in four nights so um, you might want to kind of get geared up here. Um, and I think that that's another another thing that one of the reasons why I kind of held my own was I knew that there was no expectations and I knew that, you know, just, just because I have a bad game doesn't mean that I might be gone tomorrow because I'm the only guy right now. So knowing, knowing that I had at least two or three games to really get comfortable, I think kind of helped me in that first game. And, you know, even right away, I felt pretty comfortable. You know, the big jump with pro is that I think everybody on the ice is a threat at that point. A lot of really good players, whether they're on NHL contracts or AHL contracts now, you know, down in the ECHL. So it's um, it's a really skilled league. Yeah, for sure. So like throughout that first year, like what were some of the biggest takeaways that you learned throughout that first season that you didn't know before? Uh, probably one of my biggest takeaways was that pro hockey is not college hockey. And, um, you know, I always anticipated call, uh, pro hockey being, you know, the pinnacle, you know, at any level. Um, and it, it wasn't until I realized how amazing of a college that I actually went to, you know, I went from, you know, being on 45 minute chartered flights from Michigan back to Penn state, 
and you can get home, at, you know, at midnight and make it to the bar by 1230, um, you know, and then we go back to the 15 hour bus trips on a loaded bus where, you know, the rookies don't even get their own bumps. So, um, you know, that transition was a little eye opening and it was like, wow, I guess pro hockey really isn't, at least minor leagues, isn't, uh, isn't as exciting or thrilling as I thought it was. Essentially, I, I mean, it was just like you're going back playing juniors, which for most people, that's pretty awesome, too. I mean, juniors is the best time ever. So um, it, it, by no means was it a bad thing, but it was something that I just I didn't really anticipate right away. Yeah, absolutely. So then during that year as well, you moved around to a few teams during that year, including the Quad City Mallards, where you played in 10 games before getting your first AHL call up to the Chicago Wolves. Like, how difficult was it to move around so often and play for different teams, going to different locker rooms, but still have some amazing opportunities given to you? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, I think I think the hardest part was going to teams where you didn't know anybody, which was which was really rare. Um, I was fortunate enough that in Quad City, I, I knew uh, at least I knew one guy from California, Miles Cooley, who was a good buddy back from California. Um, I knew him at the time, so I wasn't too stressed about that. I think the big thing was that I, I really loved Greenville. And I, uh, as terrible as it sounds, I loved being the third goalie in Greenville. It was awesome. I got to, you know, do pregame skate and I was learning from I was learning from Jeff Malcolm and I was learning from um, they go, uh, Jerry York, or not Jerry York, uh, Alan York, who was there, who played NHL games. He was a guy that I looked up to quite a bit. Um, so I was learning a lot being the third goalie and, you know, getting to see other goalies play after, you know, not uh, not seeing a different goalie for the past three years in college, right? Um, so moving, moving to Quad City, it wasn't too bad. I kind of knew that I had to do it at some point. I knew I was going to be getting traded, obviously, because the coach and I had a really good relationship in Greenville and, you know, we kind of got to the end of that road where he's like, Hey, like you need to play games. This is for you. I know you like it here, but let me help you out a little bit. So I ended up going there. I played with a guy I played against in college, Brody Hoffman, um, big goalie, good dude, really quiet guy keeps to himself. Um, and he kind of handled the workload. I ended up squeezing into a couple there in quad city and ended up playing one playoff game, which was cool. Um, it's crazy how my call up happened. Um, I'm sitting at dinner. It was actually, I was sitting at dinner and, uh, our coach, uh, Terry Ruskowski, who's a Chicago legend. Um, he just, uh, he actually walked into the same restaurant, which obviously it's small town, not too, too big of a coincidence. Um, but he walks in the restaurant and beelines it straight for me. So I'm like, Oh, here we go. I just got sent back or something. And, you know, he walks up and just goes, Hey, do you want to go to Chicago? And I'm like, uh, sure. And he goes, okay, pack your bag. And he was like on the phone at the time too. I was like, all right. So he goes, yeah, pack your bags, uh, rent a car. You're going to Chicago. So I rented a car and drove to Chicago. Luckily I knew, uh, I knew one California guy on the team at the time, Scooter Vaughn. He was a guy I grew up playing with out here. And, um, I backed up Bennington for one game. So that was, uh, that was a pretty cool experience, especially looking at the career that he's had now. Um, nobody tell nobody told me that he takes every shot in warm up though, so I didn't even see one shot the whole warm up. Oof. Well, that that must have, that must have been that must have been funny when you didn't get a shot in warm up. But like, what how what was that experience like? And just being able to learn from from guys like Bennington and see shots from NHL and AHL guys and just see how they work and how they practice. Yeah, I mean, I think 
obviously practices were approached a little bit differently because the schedule was, you know, a little bit more intense, um, you know, but getting to see a higher caliber shot and getting to watch different releases and, you know, you, you kind of get into that mode, especially in practice when you're practicing with the same group all the time that, you know, you can kind of anticipate what guys are going to do or, you know, you can anticipate how they're going to release the puck as opposed to, you know, really reading the release and not, uh, not anticipating, or I guess you can call it guessing, um, you know, what guys are going to do with the puck. So it keeps you a little bit more honest. And I think at the end of the day, if, if that's something that I would have focused on a little bit more, I probably would have been um, a little bit better off at tracking the puck, uh, you know, down the road. Yeah, for sure. It's like, what was it like being in an organization, even for a short time that like, obviously loves to win and just being the, and just like they care about everyone from top to bottom. Yeah. I, that was something that obviously I was only there for, I think it was a weekend at, at most. Um, but I mean, I met the GM and I met the head coach and I met everybody that first day that I was there backing up. Um, you know, I, I, everybody introduced themselves and, I think I forget who the GM was at the time or is right now, but he was a former goalie too. So, you know, we actually had a, yep. We actually, uh, you know, might've had a, like a deep conversation where, you know, it was genuine and that was where it was like, Whoa, this is way different than, you know, what I experienced in quad city, which, you know, there's a lot of guys that won't have great, the greatest things to say about quad city, but there are some, there are some good things going on there now. So. Yeah, absolutely. So then the following year ended up being your last year of pro hockey and you play on several teams once again, starting with Greenville, with the Greenville Swamp Rabbits again. Then you went to Fort Wayne for the Comets and then you went to Tulsa Oilers. So what, what was that experience all like and just being able to go from Greenville to Fort Wayne, Indiana to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then eventually get called up to Stockton, California for the Stockton Heat in the AHL? Yeah, I think um, I think that year was probably that was probably the year that I I have the most stories. I guess you could say um, I started out back in Greenville. Obviously, the head coach is you know a Penn Stater who loved me um, and really believed in me. You know, as a person and as a goalie. So I had another chance. Uh, he ended up getting me to you know the Hartford Wolfpack camp where I went up there and I did pretty well. Um, you know, went back down to Greenville and unfortunately the Rangers had signed another young kid, uh, Brandon Halverson. And, uh, you know, he was slated to be the next Henrik Lundqvist at the time. So, uh, you know, obviously he was going to get taken care of really well. And, uh, so I knew that based off of my exhibition and, and preseason games was going to be, if I even get a contract or not, um, probably one of the best games I've ever played in my life happened in that exhibition game. Um, and I remember sitting in the meeting with the GM and everybody, and they said, you really, you really screwed us here because we can't, we can't let you go. We want to, we're supposed to, but we're going to keep you as the third guy and, and, you know, whatever game you can get in, you'll get in. And I was like, I'm fine with that. Um, you know, obviously stayed there for a couple weeks, I think it was. And then, you know, next thing you knew, Fort Wayne was calling because they had a, a goalie situation where I needed to go back up Patrick Nagel and um went back out there um because i i kind of i was like okay i don't want to do this another year i want to play like i need to actually chase this um so i went out there and got to learn a lot from pat pat's an awesome dude still playing i love the guy he's amazing 
Um, so I went out there to Fort Wayne and, uh, it's not on the, I don't think it's on my, uh, hockey DB, but I actually went back to Greenville after Fort Wayne. Um, I went back to Greenville and, uh, was there for one or two weeks before they put me back on waivers. I just never played a game. Um, and then I was, uh, I, and, and, uh, so then they put me on waivers back in Greenville and, I was, you know, sitting, uh, sitting at lunch one day with one of the injured guys while the team was away. And I knew that they put me on waivers that day. And I was like, I just hope my phone doesn't ring because like, this is a stressful year. I've moved three times already. Um, you know, let's, let's see if I can stay somewhere for once. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, it's like the 20th hour of the 24 hours and my phone rings and, uh, I already had the number saved. So I knew who it was, uh, Jason Christie out in Tulsa, Oklahoma Tulsa, for the Tulsa Oilers. And I just threw my hands up like, here we go. And uh, took his call and he was like, when can you get here? Yada, yada. Here's your flight. So I packed up and, and I went out to Tulsa and, you know, it was, it was a funny situation there. They had, uh, they had somebody who was signed on an NHL contract, but really was struggling at the time. Um, and then next thing you know, he got called up. I don't know if they kind of knew that was happening or not. And uh, it was just me there. I, I think we practiced for almost a week with one goalie. And uh, they ended up signing uh, Dusty Emu's kid, Jonah, who was uh, in the federal league, I think at the time. And, you know, he, uh, he ended up backing me up for that whole month of March. And, you know, Jason Christie or Smurf as the, as he likes to be called is uh, he goes, you know, you're playing every single game. So good luck. And, uh, that was pretty much the last conversation we had. Uh, I went zero and nine. Wow. We didn't win. We didn't win one game in the month of March. Um, felt like I played pretty well, but you know, on a struggling team with a lot of off ice issues and you know everything going on with that, it's kind of hard um, to really pull together as a team. But uh, next thing you knew, we were getting home from a road trip, and it was two a.m. and I'm walking back. To, I'm walking back into my apartment, and my phone rings and Smurf is like, Hey, uh, you're going to Stockton, your flights at 6am. And I, I almost threw my phone on the ground. Like, you gotta be kidding me. Why am I going to Stockton? You know, we just, we just lost three games in a row to Kansas city at the time who they were incredible. They're, they're stacked. Yeah. And you think they had, they had Josh Robinson and net who's absolute stud at the time. Like, you know, we, we had no shot in the first place, but you know, I'm like, all right, I guess I'm going to Stockton, packed up all my stuff and, you know, got shipped out. You know, it just so happened that their, uh, their AHL goalie couldn't get there in time. So I was the, uh, the closest guy that could get there in time to, uh, you know, back up that night. So that's pretty much just the way it goes sometimes, man. Yeah. Crazy, crazy times. And, but those, those are some crazy memories that you make and you just look back at them and you're like, how, how did I do that when it's literally 2 a.m. and I get a call that the, my flight leaves at 6 a.m. Like that's four hours away. Yeah. I mean, and it's stuff like that, that you can, you can look at it in a really negative way. And, and obviously those, those thoughts went flying by, but I mean, at the end of the day, I was living the dream and, you know, getting to do what I love, especially and getting paid for it, which was nice um you know so you you kind of just take it in a positive way and you're like all right here's the next adventure yeah for sure it's like what are some of the other like funny slash good stories that 
you have from your pro pro hockey days, especially that last year? <laughs> um, well, I think uh, one of them, since we're on the timeline, is, uh, you know, I get to Stockton and it's uh, myself, David Riddick and uh, John Gillies at the, that were the goalies there. Um, you know, my first day there, John Gillies gets called up. So I'm like, okay, cool. So like now I'm backing up and, um, you know, I wasn't on like a, a gear deal or anything. So I've, um, I was fortunate enough. I had a good, a good friend at warrior Kirk Allen that was kind of helping me out throughout the year since I was, you know, just a broke kid going paycheck to paycheck, trying to string together some gear. So he was able to help me out quite a bit, but you know, I knew my chest pad was illegal because it was from college. I knew my pads were illegal because all those gear changes happened to the year, two years prior. So I was like, oh, so I started to think about that. I'm like, oh man, if I get, you know, called in there and I can't play because my gear's illegal, what's going to happen then? Um, you know, and the next thing you know, we have pregame skate. It's, you know, David Riddick and I, and we're out there with, uh, I think it was Thomas Spear at the time who was in Stockton. Or I think he's still there now. And, uh, you know, he goes, oh man, I don't feel too good. You might be playing tonight. And then why? And then walks away. And I'm like, oh my God, dude, after going 0 and 9 in March and this mess of a year that I've had this year, like you're going to try to drop that on me. And so, you know, he doesn't even tell me as we're walking to the rink for the game. And he goes, no, I think I'm okay to play, you know? And obviously I'm like, oh, thank God, you know, cause I've been thinking about it all day now. He drops it at pregame skate. So, uh, backed him up for a night and, uh, and then they ended up getting uh, their ECHL goalie back out there and um, dropped me off at the airport. And that was when I decided that I've had enough. It was, uh, you know, I think it was early April at the time. And I was, I decided that that was a good time for me to kind of exit. Yeah. That that's one crazy way to end it is just go from there to there. And then your goalie partner in pregame warmups says you may have to, you may have to play. And then you end up not being, not playing, but like that, that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty crazy story. I think, I think looking back on it now, I kind of wish he was sick. So I could have got that game, but the way it goes. Absolutely. So did you have any like bad, like travel stories that have happened? Like obviously in the, in the coast, like you always hear of like those bad travel like those 24 plus hour trips like yeah yeah those yeah I think I think obviously but between uh you know in junior we had a couple buses break down in Flin Flon in the middle of nowhere you know our bus in Flin Flon was also a stick shift so going from you know gear one to eight every two seconds there's just the big jolt um so that was always a mess if you're trying to get a nap in but uh I think in pro, a lot of, a lot of the times on those long road trips, especially if you have some, if you have a good weekend or you put together a good series, you know, some of the guys will have some beers on the bus. And, you know, I was playing with a guy who could really, he could really put down a couple beers, let's just say. And um, thank God I took the top bunk that day because he was in the middle bunk and decided to, uh, you know, have a little accident in the middle of the night and uh, gave the guy in the bottom bunk a little rain dance. So, um, I think that that was probably one of the, the messier ones that I've experienced on the on those road trips. But, uh, you know, I also played with a guy who um, I didn't know at the time, but he has a, like a four hour long life story that he tells everybody, um, which is actually hilarious. His name's Anthony Collins. He's, he's a riot. Um, great dude. 
but nobody really warned me that it was going to be four hours long. So, you know, everybody's like, Oh, Collins, you gotta, you gotta tell PJ your story. You know, I, I'm brand new on the team. So I'm just trying to make friends be like, yeah, man, let's hear it. Let's hear it. You know, next thing you know, I look around and everybody on the bus is sleeping while he's standing up while I'm laying down in my bunk and he's just talking to me face to face, telling me his life story. I'm like, Oh man, let's get this over with. Um, you know, but yeah, yeah. That's all I wanted to do at the time. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. And those, those are some crazy stories. Do you have any like bad goals that you've given up throughout like your career? Too many to count, man. I think, um, one of my favorites was in college, we played Holy Cross and it was the opening draw of the second period. Uh, they went it back uh, onto their uh, Holy Cross wins it back onto their D-man's backhand. And he just decides to, you know, kind of fling it on net. And uh, it was a slow little roller and I went paddle down to stop it like you normally would. And it hopped over my paddle and went right through my legs and that was when I got scored on backhand from the far blue line. That was a pretty memorable one. Um, I, uh, I think in, in junior, I had one where we were, we were down by two or we were up by two goals. Um, and their goalie, they pulled their goalie. I think it was, uh, it was when I was in Flin Flon, we were playing Nippowin and they pulled their goalie. We were up two goals. So I'm like, heck yeah, I'm going to go for it. Um, so I'm a little aggressive on it. I'm like almost in the corner in a corner battle with two forwards. I end up getting a shot off. It hits the post. <laughs> wow. So I'm like, okay, well, I've got to try to go for it again. Right. Like I'm not going to miss another shot. Uh, next thing you know, there's zone entry and I go to, I go to pick the puck up. They kind of did like a little soft chip around the D. So I tried to jump and get there first. Didn't get there first. They went around, uh, put a wrap around in while I wasn't in net coach is just losing his wig just flipping his wig on the bench oh my god still to this day mike reagan i'm sorry man um but even worse so now we're only we're only uh we're only up one goal and then uh they come in and coach is still yelling at me they win the draw zone entry they're coming in they bump it wide and then the guy just puts it elbow in on me like a great shot and now, and so now the game's tied and coach is just screaming at the top of his lungs, probably lost his voice at the time. Um, we end up winning in a shootout luckily, but man, I was on, uh, I was on his shit list for a while. That's for sure. Imagine you lose that game. <laughs> would have been even worse. <laughs> probably would have been the end of my career right there. Yeah. I've, I've had those goals, those weird bad goals I've, I've given up like a couple of weeks ago, like someone, fluttered a puck in from just before the blue line and I went <laughs> and paddle paddle down to stop it and it went over over my paddle over my glove and went in the yep. net but they always find a way man all, that's, always that's like, the funny that, part actually those slow rollers like they, <laughs> they get super bouncy all of a sudden and then they just hop yep. over you all of a sudden and it's in the back of the net but yeah what do you what do you do about it shake it off yeah exactly so uh, you then retire after the 2016-2017 season and you just and you're now a strength and conditioning coach and a goalie coach. So like what made you want to become a strength and conditioning coach and help athletes along the way since you retired? Yeah, I think I think obviously one of the biggest reasons was I was kinesiology major in college and um, I did my my internship with our strength and conditioning program at school. 
Um, and that's when it really was like, wow, I really enjoy this environment. And I really enjoy obviously being around athletes. And as an athlete, I liked being in the gym. So it was kind of a, it was kind of a no brainer. Um, when it came to the science stuff, I, it, it kind of drew me in because I started to get reasons why. And I think that that's one of the reasons why um, you know, I enjoy it so much was as an athlete, I was always the kid that was asking, Hey, like, why are we doing this? Um, so now when I coach, I'm actually able to explain it. Um, you know, one of my, one of my biggest pet peeves is when coaches just say, ah, oh, we've always done it like this. That's why we're going to do it. Um, you know, so it's, um, it's always, it's always relieving for myself when I can explain why we're doing something, whether that's to a goalie or to an athlete, you know, a lacrosse player, a soccer player, whoever it is, um, you know, having that purpose and having that intent and being able to explain that and actually come from a, a place of like, Hey, this is going to help you as opposed to, Hey, like we're just trying to make you sweaty today, which um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the ways that strength and conditioning was approached to me as a young kid was in a negative light. I think one of the biggest things that I preach that's, a part of my philosophy is that, you know, exercise isn't a punishment. So the whole, Hey, get down and get, give me 20 pushups because I'm mad at you thing. Like, I think that it's a blessing that we're able to move. I mean, the only reason why I'm still able to play goalie is because I started to take care of my body. Um, you know, I'm 31 now, so I still get the achy knees and the achy hips every once in a while. But, uh, you know, knowing that I can kind of limit that in the athletes that I work with down the road is something that's super rewarding. Yeah, for sure. And like, you just have, like, you just got to take care of your body, especially as you get older, like everything starts to get more and more fragile and you just, you just, you can get injured at any point, basically. And just, you just got to treat your body well and treat it, put the good things in your body and keep, keep, keep having that, keep exercising as long as you can. Yeah. I mean, I, my, you only get one, right. If I told you you're going to get one car for the rest of your life, you're going to take what kind of, what kind of gas are you going to put in it? You know, when that maintenance light comes on, you're going to take it in right away. You're going to wait a while. Exactly. You know, so you got to make sure that uh, you hit those pit stops, you know, NASCAR 500, how many pit stops they take. They don't drive the whole race straight. Yeah. They, they got to take, take care of their car and go, go in for the pit stops quite a bit. Absolutely. So my next question for you is, uh, is there a certain approach you use for the different people and different athletes that you train, or is it just like your use approach it pretty much the same every time? Yeah, I think, I think the big thing, um, especially that I've been focusing on now is making sure not only that athletes understand why we're doing stuff, but be able to explain it from, uh, in a way that they understand, right. Where, um, you know, nobody's ever going to be forced to do anything, right? Like, I want you to want to be here. If I'm not facilitating an atmosphere that makes you want to be here, or you enjoy being in, then I'm not doing my job. And it doesn't matter what I tell you to do, you know, like, um, and it's something that I've kind of experienced over the past five years of me doing this is, it doesn't matter how good your program is, it doesn't matter if you're the most sports specific, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't matter how smart you are. Um, you know, if, if athletes or kids don't like being around you, it doesn't matter. So um, I think that that's kind of first and foremost is I make sure that, you know, they know how much I care rather than, you know, I tell them how much I know. 
Yeah, that, that's a great point because I can't tell you how many times that people have said stuff to do stuff one way and then someone tells you to do, do it the other way and you're like, who is right and like, why? Why are we doing it like this? And just, it creates a lot of confusion. You, you end up doing it wrong half the time. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of crappy information out there. So making sure that you can keep it as simple as possible. Um, it's something that we deal with all the time, especially in California where, you know, coaches are giving incorrect information because they don't know any better. <coughs> and it's not, it's not necessarily their fault at all. They just don't know what they don't know. And they probably were told poor information when they were growing up. So it's a crazy loophole that, you know, we're, we're really trying to break that, um, you know, break that chain of bad information because at the end of the day, if you're in this for the right reasons, you want what's best for the kids and, you know, doing burpees to a 12 year old kid is not going to help them. I promise you that. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a great point there. So PJ, I have a few more questions for you before we wrap things up. So uh, do, you have any, yeah. do you have any tips for goalies looking to get to that next level and just keep, keep developing and keep, keep getting to that next level and keep being successful? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest tip that I always stress is, you know, be present and understand that what you do today isn't going to affect you in 10 years, but what you do today is going to mold you, you know, throughout those next 10 years, right? Yeah. Um, one day, one day doesn't mean anything. Consistency is the biggest part of anything, whether it's nutrition, sleep, you know, it's all stuff that's going to improve performance, but you know, being present in the moment is way more important than, you know, worrying about who's going where. Um, I can't tell you how many times I have goalies that are like, oh, I can't believe this guy committed to, you know, this school. Like, how is he committing there? You know, as soon as you start to worry about stuff that you can't control, um, you know, that's when your intent and the things that you're doing are not for the right reasons, right? So making sure that, um, you know, you understand the process and you, you focus on you. You know, the saying I use is control the controllables, right? Control the things that you can control, things like your attitude, things like your work ethic. You know, every day you have an opportunity. Yeah, I, I love that tip. And like you said, you said it best, 100% agree with you there. So my next question for you is like, what what's your, like your favorite pump up music? Like you're trying to get a lift in, like you're, you're playing music for the boys when they're working out. Like what what are you putting on? Man, I, uh, I go back and forth. I really change my music a lot. Um, obviously, I work, for, I work for a Christian school, so I do have to keep things a little bit in check, um, you know, especially if we're in the gym. But um, I come from that emo era where we liked the screamo and we liked a lot of the, you know, the heavy metal hardcore stuff. So obviously anything Metallica is going to give me a little bit of juice um, <clears throat> to go a little bit more intense. I would probably say uh, a day to remember is something that I like a lot. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, and then when it comes to hip hop, I like a lot of, uh, you know, kind of underground old school hip hop, you know, things like um, Mob Deep, uh, Group Home, Gangstar, um, things that are, you know, heavy lyrically and like actually have some thought. Obviously, there's your bangers that are really, really popular Popular that I'll get involved with. But um, classic rock is another one where I have certain songs uh, that I love a lot. Um, anything with a good solo is going to give me a lot of juice. Let's just say that. A little, a little bit of everything, huh? 
Yep. Love, love it. So my final question for you is like, what's been like the best save throughout your career that you've ever had uh, had to make a save, whether it was like a routine save or like a full on desperation save? Um, my favorite save to make is uh, just a far side blocker save where you get to like cleanly follow your rebound. Like for whatever reason, I just loved those the most um, feel like you're like so much, so in control, but uh, my favorite save I ever made um there's a video of it somewhere. Maybe I can get a hold of it. But uh, it was my second year of pro. We were in Norfolk. And uh, it was a two-on-one that came down. They shot far pad. And I just ended up uh, I just ended up sticking a glove out. I didn't fall. I didn't, like, recover by any means. But I stuck a glove out and made a pretty ridiculous save. So that's probably one of the ones that uh, will be etched in my mind forever, I guess you could say. Got gotta love those desperation glove saves where it's like you should not have that, but it ends up somehow finding your way yep. into the, finding its way into the glove. Yeah, right place, right time, buddy. Exactly. So uh, PJ, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. I want to wish you the best of luck going forward. And this was a lot of fun, and I hope you had fun as well. Jack, thank you so much for having me. If you need anything in the future, please reach out. Um, obviously. I love helping people out, especially when it comes to anything, strength and conditioning, goaltending, mentorship, or anything along those lines. I'm here to help anybody. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Awesome, Jack.